Welcome to Healthy Outcomes, a Baker Tilly podcast, where we'll informally discuss topics such as financial sustainability, value-based care, cybersecurity, and more. Baker Tilly is a leading advisory tax and assurance firm dedicated to helping healthcare organizations be financially sustainable. Each episode will bring you a topic or guest that will help you win now and anticipate tomorrow. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Mark Ross, and I am the leader of Baker Tilly's Healthcare Provider Practice. Joining me for today's Healthy Outcomes podcast is Bob Kramer. Bob was a co-founder and former CEO of the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care, also known as NIC. He is currently a strategic advisor to NIC, and he recently launched a new organization called Nexus Insights, which we're going to be talking a little bit more about during our dialogue here on the podcast. Recently, Bob was named a Career Achievement Award honoree at the inaugural McKnight's Pinnacle Awards live event. Simply put and in summary, Bob is a thought leader in the senior housing and care sector, highly regarded professional for many, many decades. Bob, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the podcast, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks so much, Mark. Delighted to be here. Look forward to our conversation. Great. So, Bob, let's start with something pretty simple as we get into our dialogue here. And and I'm curious about how you landed in senior housing as a career, and then if you can also then talk about how Nick, how the National Investment Center came to be many years ago. Really, I got involved and I suppose to the whole area of aging services and senior housing as a state legislator in Maryland in the early and mid-1980s. And I was asked to serve on a task force because I was known as a consumer rights advocate to rewrite what was called the Continuing Care or CCRC regs in Maryland because of a troubled CCRC. At the time, the speaker, Ben Cardin, asked me, I turned to my aide and said, what the heck's a CCRC? (laughs) I'd never heard the phrase in my life. And I soon learned a whole lot. Then I had an admiral walk into my office and I was a young freshman legislator and I stood up and said, yes, sir, because I represented the state capital of Annapolis, the home of the Naval Academy. And he said, son, my buddies and I want to build ourselves a retirement community and we need your help. And I ended up speaking at the groundbreaking of that community, Ginger Cove, which when it opened had over 40% Navy flag officers as residents. So that's how I first got exposed to the industry. And in terms of NIC, it became very clear to me when I was in state government as an elected official that there were going to be huge opportunities and huge needs to serve our growing older population, but that meeting those needs was not going to be something that one could rely just on public sector dollars. You were going to need private sector dollars. And I had gotten to know a fellow by the name of Tony Mullen who we have since lost, unfortunately. But Tony was an expert on senior housing finance and senior housing marketing research. And through Tony, I also met two other individuals, Al Holtbrook and Bob Aramian. They had put on a Southeast Lenders Conference, and the four of us met in D.C. and said, we ought to include equity and we ought to do this on a national level. I offered to put on the first conference, That was October 1991, which is the first NIC conference. And then the rest, as they say, is history. But I'll just add one other postscript. The conference was a huge success. 
We hope to get that 250. We had a little over 400 people, 431 folks. But it was not really till about 94 that I really had working with Tony Mullen articulated the real BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal of Nick. And that was to attract capital, particularly institutional capital to space by providing them the data and analytics about this sector that they were used to seeing in other commercial real estate property types and other asset classes. And that became our goal. That then led eventually to the creation of the NICMAP data service, now NMV. We really articulated, I wrote out that goal in 1994. We launched our full data service in 2004, and then we spun it out in order to grow it more and have more resources for growth just two years ago. So there's a quick history for you, Mark. Fantastic. I appreciate that, Bob. Certainly an interesting entry to the sector as a state legislator. And and then the BHAG that you set out for Nick in 1994, I, I think that everyone across the country, Bob, in the senior housing and care sector would certainly say that you achieved that goal. Nick achieved that goal in a really in a huge, huge way. So congratulations on that. Now let's pivot, Bob, to your new company that I mentioned out of the gate here, Nexus Insights. Curious about how that company has recently come to be and, and what's your vision for Nexus Insights? Well, Nexus Insights is a think tank, or as one of our fellows likes to call it, Dr. Bill Thomas, it's a think plus do tank. But our our mission, and we're a 501c3, our mission is to advance the well-being of older adults through innovative models of housing, community, and healthcare. And I've gathered together 11 other individuals, many of them deliberately a generation younger than I am, but with expertise They all have a passion. We're united by a passion that we can and must do better with and for older adults. Some are involved in startups. Some run large organizations providing senior housing and care. Others are researchers. Some are public policy experts. So it's a very diverse group. But as I said, united by a common passion around our mission. And our goal is to really as I said, advance the well-being of older adults through identifying and catalyzing these innovative models. And we launched in April of 2020. Yes, that was quite a time to launch, but it's been my whole idea that at times of greatest disruption, those are times where real innovation can happen. And COVID was a time of great disruption. And the name Nexus Insights, a key sort of belief of mine, and that is we bring together a very diverse group of people and perspectives, but it's at that nexus point, that intersection of differing points of view, differing sectors, differing industries, that you come up with real innovation, disruptive innovation. And so we launched right as COVID took off. It was a tough time, but it was also an important time to launch an initiative such as this. Appreciate that background. I also appreciate how Dr. Thomas calls it a think plus do tank. That's interesting. And and as you said, disruption, the greatest innovations can come out of very disruptive environments. But I also think similar challenges, a lot of the challenges that industry providers are facing today create opportunities, Bob. So now I'm going to pivot to Some of the challenges, and obviously you're embedded in the senior housing and care industry, and we're all generally aware, people who play in this space are aware of the 
you know, the labor challenges, the capital markets challenges, the inflationary challenges, a lot of challenges. And quite frankly, Bob, I'm thinking that we're, we're focused, providers might be focused too much on the challenges and maybe not as much on the opportunities these days. So if you can just touch on the challenges, a few of the challenges you're seeing from your perspective, and then let's talk about the opportunities and the, you know, the demographic trends, really what the future holds for the senior housing and care sector. Well, I think in terms of the challenges, obviously COVID itself was a challenge. I think we'd be dishonest to ourselves and to our workforce if we didn't say that three years of COVID, many people are just totally exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, and yes, also financially in terms of companies and balance sheets. So COVID has been an exhausting experience, just trying to keep one's residents and one's staff alive with, especially in the first year, totally conflicting direction from the federal level, the state level, the local level, this expert, that expert. And so, you know, that just sheer exhaustion. Then you had on top of that, I would say a second all hands on deck crisis, and that was the workforce. We lost a lot of workforce during that time. And those that we retained, as I said, were exhausted. And so the workforce challenge has been very, very real. And I think we can chat a little bit more about that. But what I would just make the point is the silver lining of the workforce challenge and of COVID was that for the first time we had to care about what happened to our staff outside of their shift. And I think that has led to some real breakthroughs and thinking about how we relate to and how we think about our frontline and our hourly employees. So those two challenges, few other things I would say is COVID forced us as an industry, to come kicking and screaming into the 21st century world of digital communication. We mm -hmm. were behind. We were behind healthcare, and healthcare was way behind areas like retail and consumer products and hospitality and so forth. So we were forced to catch up quickly. Another challenge has been, I would say, COVID brought mental and behavioral health issues out of the shadows, and they're not going to return we're having to acknowledge and deal with the mental health and the behavioral health issues that both our residents and our staff are facing. So those are a few of the challenges. One last one I'd mentioned would be the role of data. Everyone talks about data now, but too much data that you don't know what to do with just leads to paralysis. <laughs> yes, it does. So how you collect data, how you use data to really both inform your business decision-making, but also how do you use data to better serve your residents and to produce better quality of life? So I think the role of data and analytics has very much come to the fore. And then the last thing would be the role of healthcare. I would say in private pay seniors housing in February of 2020, the view of healthcare was we send people out to get their healthcare. Our van takes them to the doctor's office or after hours, we use 9-11 and the paramedics. That changed remarkably because of COVID. And we learned how to have healthcare services and on-demand services delivered into our residents, in their residences. In other words, into our community where they lived. And I don't think there's going to be any going back on that. 
So those are some of the challenges slash opportunities that I see now what I think is also the upheaval in the capital markets and really the financial challenges that so many operators and owners are facing with interest rates soaring, with valuations in many instances being depressed and falling, and with NOI margins being unbelievably challenged because of inflation, interest rates, and just simply having to pay more for staff. And when you put all that together, enormous pressure on margins, on NOI for operators, and that combined with the capital market upheavals, which are not just in our sector, but across the entire economy and across the global economy, that is a very real challenge and pressure today. Thank you for that, Bob. And if you could just touch on the other opportunity, and again, it's talked about consistently, and Nick has all the data relative to this, as do others, but the demographic trends are on our side in the senior housing and care industry for providers that are looking to either expand what they're currently doing in their markets or for new providers to enter the market. So can you just touch on the demographic trends and maybe as they relate specifically, Bob, to middle market housing and and the need for that now and in, in the future? Yeah, it's no secret. Obviously, the 85 plus population is growing. People are living longer. Now, the oldest boomer is just turning 77. So I would say in terms of care-driven seniors' housing, we're still eight to 12 years away from seeing the real impact of the boomers for care-driven senior housing. That said, there's great interest. People use the phrase active adult. I don't like it. I think it's an ageist term, but basically it's what I would call lifestyle housing to serve people in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s. And that's a huge growth area now within our industry. In terms of the middle market, I think one of the things we have to recognize is that although boomers have, as a generation, more wealth as well as just sheer more numbers, demographics, than the size of the cohort. I mean, you hear all the time, 10,000 boomers turning 65 every day. So there are huge numbers there, but the result of, in particular, the time during COVID and now some of the financial shockwaves, the reality is, and NIC studies have shown this, the largest market by the end of this decade, socioeconomically, will be what NIC has termed the forgotten middle. And those, quite simply, Mark, are those who have too much in resources to qualify for government support in areas such as housing and long-term care, but not enough in resources to afford today's private pay senior living, at least for very long. And that group is growing exponentially. And that even as we've seen many operators having to pass along double digit, 10%, 12% increases in their monthly rates. That just means that that affordability for senior living has just shrunk further so that that forgotten middle has gotten even larger. And I do think not right at this moment with so much uncertainty in the capital markets, but I believe when things kind of shake out over the next year or two, and I think we have a lot of older properties by this, I mean, Assisted living properties built in the period of 1994 to 2008, those properties are 15 to 30 years of age. And I think the valuations, there are going to be opportunities for folks to pick those properties up. 
at not just 80 cents on the dollar, but at 60 or 40 cents on the dollar. And I think many of those properties may be repositioned to serve this forgotten middle. And it's a huge opportunity for our sector to figure out how to serve this cohort, not just with housing, but with supportive services and wraparound preventative health care. Absolutely, Bob. And I know a lot of the clients and we're working with senior housing and care providers all over the country. And a lot of a lot of our clients are certainly focused on that forgotten middle and figuring out a strategy, putting together strategies to serve that forgotten middle as we move forward. So Bob, let's pivot yet again to talk briefly about the role of senior housing operators in the overall provision of healthcare in society today. And, and certainly when we think about acute care providers today, hospitals, their relationships with post-acute providers, their relationships with behavioral health providers and, and all the ancillary and specialty providers, things are a lot more integrated today than they were 5, 10, 20 years ago. I'm a believer, and I believe you are a believer in this too, that senior housing and care providers play an absolutely critical role in the overall provision of healthcare in today's society. Probably more critical, and it's certainly been more recognized in light of COVID. So what commentary do you have for our audience on that, Bob? Again, the role that senior housing and care providers play in the overall provision of healthcare. We have to start on that really important question that you've posed, Mark, on asking, how is healthcare changing? Because we've had a healthcare system, which has been a sick care system, by which I mean, you wait till you're sick or you wait till you're injured, and then we provide you care, curative care to get you well. It. And that system is reactive. It waits until something happens. You get sick, you fall, you're in an accident. And it's curative. We seek to make you whole again. And it's passive, meaning there's really very little you can do because you wait till you get sick. And then you should follow the doctor's orders to get well. We're switching, though, and that is also a system of healthcare where senior housing, quite frankly, simply provides some of the best customers or the most volume to the local healthcare system because we house and care for people who are frail, who have many multiple chronic conditions. And therefore, in the old sick care system, they often are a revolving door with the doctor's office and the ER and the hospital. But we're moving from a system based on volume and sick care to a system based on value and well care. What does that mean? Well care is preventative, predictive, and participatory. It's preventative. We want to be monitoring your chronic conditions, monitoring your health, and figuring out how we can prevent you from having that fall how we can prevent you from needing to have that very expensive and often even worse for your health visit and admission to the hospital. It's predictive. We want to use data, your data, other people's data, to be able to, again, predict when you're at risk of a fall or a UTI or some other type of event. We want to get ahead of it. And it's participatory. Because it's preventative and predictive, you, the individual, the patient, the resident, you play a key role in your own health and in keeping yourself healthy. It's what we call social determinants of health. 
It's what you eat. It's the environment. It's how you exercise. It's mental exercise. It's physical exercise. It's social engagement. It's what gives you a reason to get up for breakfast in the morning. And that's purpose. So all of these things, and when you start thinking about social determinants of health, and when you start thinking about a system that's to keep you well and to stay on top of your chronic conditions, suddenly senior housing goes from just being, we produce, if you want, and forgive me putting it this way, but the fodder that fills emergency rooms and fills hospitals, instead, we become the very front line of keeping people at risk healthy and keeping them out of the hospital and out of the ER. And because our population is most at risk if we don't manage their chronic conditions, if we don't manage their daily experience of health. So we come from just providing a volume to our setting itself can provide enormous value we can save the healthcare system dollars. We can provide the resident a better quality of life. And we can basically do what we do well, which is we provide 24-7 monitoring and oversight for our residents. Well, as one United Health executive said to me, he said, I'd give anything to have my eyes on our plan members 24-7. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? In seniors housing and skilled nursing, We have our eyes on our residents 24-7. So enormous opportunity there. But what that means is we have to come face-to-face with the fact that part of the on-demand culture, which we really saw leapfrog ahead during COVID for everyone, all ages, is we've got to realize we have a responsibility. We don't have to provide all the health care, but our residents are going to expect that you don't ship them out to the hospital or the doctor's office for their health care. Now, part of our value proposition is that we're going to do everything we can to keep you healthy and keep you out of the hospital. Absolutely. Your comments are spot on, Bob. And you know, I think those relationships with the senior housing and care providers in this country, the acute care providers, again, across the entire healthcare continuum will continue to be elevated moving forward. And I love the concept, Bob, of participatory, right? That one word that you use, preventative, predictive, and participatory. I will tell you that that's one of the challenges, as you well know, that most healthcare providers, healthcare systems specifically, the old patient engagement, engaging their patients. And I know a number of our clients, because we do a lot of work in the acute care space as well, are consistently trying to implement new strategies, new tactics to more effectively engage with their patients through the use of technology and other means. And Mark, if I can just comment on that, that's why we have such an advantage as a senior housing and care provider, because we are the ones who should have a much better understanding of what's important in their daily life to that person. What relationships matter to them? What gives them a sense of purpose? What, as the Japanese expression, ikigai goes, which literally means, as I said, reason to get up for breakfast. Yep. And as Clay Christensen, recently passed away, Harvard Business School professor, used to talk about, he talked about it as jobs to be done. What translated it means just being told, go do this, it's good for your health. 99% of people, after a couple of weeks, they aren't going to do that or even remember it. 
But if it's tied to something that's important for the resident, and we should know that. If my goal is I want to see my great-grandchild born, or I want to be there at my grandson's graduation and see him walk across the stage, we tie that participatory health goal to what gives that person a sense of purpose, what's important to them. And it's really hard for the doctor in the hospital to know that patient well enough to do that. But we can do that. That's where, as I say, when you have this broader view of health, we become key. And in fact, we're more the experts on what's going to motivate that person to do the things that will keep them healthy than that doctor that sees them once every six months. Thank you for those follow-up comments, Bob. So when we were planning for the podcast, Bob, and having some of our dialogue, you made reference to a study that I believe Nexus Insights did recently regarding the various types of senior housing and care options. And it made reference, I believe, or studied the safest place for seniors during COVID. And I know we talked about COVID earlier and COVID, a lot of people like to think it's behind us. And for the most part, it is, but it was certainly a a significant part of our lives over the last three years. But can you talk a little bit? I found it very interesting, Bob, as you were sharing the results of that survey with me. Yeah, that was a study that was released by NIC and NORC at the University of Chicago. That was not a Nexus study. That was an NIC-funded study. It was a study that looked at basically the impact of COVID in terms of deaths from COVID. And it looked at it in terms of different types of seniors housing and long-term care settings and adults of similar health status, frailty, chronic conditions, health problems out in the broader community. And there were several things notable about the study. One was that many people think of skilled nursing and think that senior housing is the same thing as skilled nursing. What the study showed is that the frailty level and the acuity level of residents in skilled nursing is significantly higher than that in other types of senior housing. And that not surprisingly, therefore, that population was even more vulnerable than the private pay seniors housing population. Put another way, both before and after vaccines were introduced, you were safer in a senior housing setting than a skilled nursing setting. That said, another thing the study showed was that once vaccines were introduced, if you were in a life plan community, also known as a continuing care retirement community, you were actually safer than an adult with a similar age and health conditions and frailty out in the general community, living in an apartment or a single family home. You were actually safer in the life plan community. And similarly, after vaccines were introduced, you were as safe or nearly as safe in an independent living, an assisted living, or a memory care building as you would have been out in the general community. Sure. And I do think, as you said, Bob, senior housing, independent living, assisted living, assisted living memory care is not skilled nursing. And I think we all know that skilled nursing providers across the country certainly did get beaten up quite a bit during COVID. And some of that criticism, you know, we can debate whether that criticism was fair or not, but without skilled nursing providers in this country during the pandemic, Where would we have been as a healthcare system? Hospitals would have been even more overwhelmed. Well, again, to the point we talked earlier, Mark, about the role of the whole senior housing and long-term care system. When COVID hit, 
we suddenly became the front lines of defense for our entire public health system in the United States. Why? Because we had concentrated numbers of the population most at risk. And if it weren't for the valiant efforts of the staff of so many nursing homes and senior housing communities to try and protect their residents. And remember, this is before vaccines were introduced. And this was before we knew how COVID was even spread. And when you were getting differing, sometimes conflicting messages, and when even at first, remember, we were not even prioritized as a setting for PPE. So at that time, if it weren't for the efforts of our industry, including and in particular skilled nursing, the ERs and the ICUs of this country would have been even more overwhelmed than they were. And in essence, what happened was during this time, our communities became the med surge wards of hospitals by necessity. And we stepped up in really, really challenging conditions. So I absolutely agree with you with the conflicting advice until vaccines came around, not even being a priority for PPE. It's amazing. And again, Yes, we learned that there are very frail people. Bear in mind, COVID is not the first epidemic that we've had. We have an epidemic every year in this country that takes a disproportionate number of lives of those in nursing homes, and it's called the flu, influenza. And in one sense, this was just the flu on steroids, but because it was also taking lives of other people of other ages, we put a lot of focus on this. One of the silver linings, it's hard to say that if you lost a loved one, but one of the silver linings of COVID is we learned a lot about disease, about infection prevention and dealing with infection that will help us with every year now with flu outbreaks. For instance, air handling systems, whether or not we have one entrance that everybody on the staff of a building uses, the value of having separate neighborhoods where you can quarantine folks that have a particular infection or disease in one neighborhood rather than having staff or other residents exposed to them. So there's so many things we learned that now in terms of disease and infection control and prevention are going to be applied across the board for the future. But we learned those lessons, I want to point out, the hard way, really painfully. And I think our audience has figured out by now, Bob, that, and you mentioned with Nexus Insights, you use that word passion, right? So you've got tremendous passion, certainly for the senior housing and care sector. We at Baker Tilly, we do a lot of work in the sector, and I tell our clients all the time, I've got a certainly a passion for what they do, serving their missions, delivering on their missions for the seniors that they serve. So in closing, Bob, in summary, we've talked about a lot here. Given all the challenges, all the opportunities, everything else we talked about, what advice and counsel would you give to the C-suite or even board members, those charged with governance at senior housing and care providers today? Well, I would use a phrase that was authored by Henry Kissinger in an April 2020 Wall Street Journal op-ed. And believe it or not, it was an op-ed about COVID. And this was obviously the early days. And he said, the task of leaders and referring to a crisis such as this, is to manage the crisis while building the future. And so the crisis, whether it's COVID, whether it's workforce, 
whether it's a crisis you see of occupancy numbers, if you're an assisted living provider today, yes, you have to manage that crisis. But if you're a leader as a board member, as a member of the C-suite, you've got to also be building the future. And that means you've got to lift your eyes up and say, what's coming? How do we prepare for that? How do we position ourselves for that? How do we, in a new world of value-based care, not volume-based care, in a world where we want to practice well care, what does that mean for us? How do we do that? What does it mean for us that we're going to increasingly have customers who don't just want things done to them or for them, but want things done with them and by them, and who are increasingly tech-savvy and are used to seeing on-demand services? So there are enormous opportunities out there. You will not be able to seize those opportunities if you're not building the future. At the same time, you're managing the crisis. It's not to diminish the crisis or to minimize it in any sense, but it's to say, if you're a board now of a not-for-profit aging services organization, or you're an exec member of the C-suite of a for-profit or a not-for-profit, you must be lifting your eyes up and saying, What's the future? How do we prepare and position ourselves for that? Because if not, the crisis will simply take over and consume your organization. And really, you won't be prepared and you won't be relevant for the future. Very well said, Bob. And we talked to our clients about striking that balance between dealing with, as you said, the current operational challenges, but also focusing on future strategy, building the future for your organization. So I very much appreciate those comments. Mark, can I mention one other thing? I touched on it very briefly, but another opportunity, which is a great example of, on the one hand, dealing with the crisis, but building the future. And that is, if COVID did nothing else, it showed us how much we rely on our hourly workers, our frontline workers, and how they are heroes. But we mustn't forget that. We've got to implement that. And that means we cannot treat shift workers as like widgets where they do this shift. That's all we care about. These are the jobs they've got to get done. No, we've got to engage our hourly workers and our frontline workers in meaningful relationships, not just transactional relationships. And that means we've got to care about, understand, empathize, and not be the total solution, but be part of the solution for the challenges they face when they leave for work or they go home from work. That means whether it's healthy food, whether it's transportation, whether it's childcare, those are really ultimately our issues. They're not just their issues. And I could give countless exciting examples of how employers have realized this, gotten engaged with their staff as people and understanding their lives how do we come alongside them in that? We're not the solution, but we have to show that we empathize, we understand, and we want to be part of the solution. That, to me, is a key to the workforce crisis, because the reality is demographics are good in terms of the number of customers for the future. Demographics are bad in terms of the numbers of workers for the future. So that means how do we engage workers and have a loyal workforce that has very low turnover? That is key. Great point, 
Bob. And actually for our audience, I, and for Bob, I'll mention this to you, that we did a podcast recently. I did it with Robert Espinoza from PHI. And the focus of that podcast, Bob, was on direct care workers and how employers can more effectively engage. You know, it's all about recruiting and retention, right? But how can they more effectively engage with their direct care workers? So ultimately, their direct care workers are providing the highest quality of care to the residents. So Bob, it's been an absolute privilege to talk with you and have you as a guest on our podcast here today. I want to thank our listeners for joining this podcast. If you found this episode useful and would like to listen to more episodes about hot topics in the healthcare industry, please subscribe to our Healthy Outcomes podcast or learn more by visiting us at bakertilly.com. Bob, thank you so much. Thanks. Enjoyed it, Mark. Thank you for listening. To receive notifications when new episodes are available, please subscribe on whichever platform you get your podcasts. For additional resources, check out bakertilly.com.